It's amazing. For once, I have all my children here on a Sunday morning, and um, and I've got no embarrassing stories lined up to tell about them. That was a missed opportunity. <laughs> I, I did I did get asked I did get asked this morning. You haven't got any stories, have you? Maybe I'll think of some as we go along. So last time, uh, last time I preached. Um, we looked at a passage from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 8, uh, where the Israelites were in the desert, or they'd just been through the desert for 40 years. They were camped outside the promised land, and Moses was talking to them about all the things that had gone on in the last however many years, 40 years and beyond. He was telling them all about how God had kept them, the promises of God, what he'd done for them, and um, that's where we left them. And when I looked at what I was going to preach on um, for this week, I thought, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And then I thought, I know. Let's see what happened next to the Israelites. Let's just see what happened. Because we left them there, camped outside the promised land. Not Obviously not really there, but in our story as we looked at it from the Bible, from Deuteronomy. So Moses carried on and and spoke to them for quite a long time and um, told them all the reasons that they'd been stopped from going into the promised land which is where they were just about to go next. They'd been wandering in the desert for the last 40 years. That 40 years was primarily to make sure that none of the rebellious generation were left to go into the promised land. And that a new generation would take the land. So that's where they were. That's where we left them. They were ready to go in. And I talked at the time about everyday miracles and the fact their clothes didn't wear out uh, and all sorts of things like that. And and looking at the the signs that God was with them, even through the tough times, there are little things that we see that we experience that say, actually, even though things feel horrible, God is still there. And he reminds us of that time and time again. But. These guys aren't in that position anymore. They're ready for their inheritance. They're ready for the promised land. So I was thinking, well, great. They're ready to go in. That means finally they've done it. They can sit back. They can put their feet up. Isn't this good news? Actually, it didn't work out that way. And and I think that's that's often the flaw in my thinking that, oh, good, the bad time's finished. Now I can just sit, put my feet up, and it's all going to be okay. But it doesn't seem to work that way. So Moses is talking to them. Moses knows that he's not going to go into the promised land. God's already told him that. So uh, they're getting ready to enter. uh, And they send out some spies uh, like they did last time. Now, last time uh, they sent the spies in and the spies came back and said, no, we can't even go into the land. But this time it works out a little bit differently. So they cross the River Jordan. And various things happen to them, which I'm not going to go into for time, because I want us to look at the first thing that comes across their path that looks like an obstacle. They're going into the promised land. This should be okay. It should be easy. It should be already. Now, suddenly before them stands the fortified and walled city of Jericho. So if you want to turn to Joshua chapter six, if you've got your Bibles, The text is going to come on here. There's three pages of it because I'm going to read a chunk and it's probably too small to read. I don't know. It might be. It might be all right. I always tend to get the size 
wrong when I put them on the slide. So apologies if you can't read that. You can listen or you can follow in your own Bible. So this is Joshua 6 verses 1 to 20 that I'm going to read. So they've crossed the Jordan. They are in to the promised land. Few things have happened and now they come to this. And it says, now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. This you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the the Ark of the Covenant, that is. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all of the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only that day they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute and all who are in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, the trumpets were blown. And soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. 
just as an explanation there, when he talked about Rahab, when the spies had gone in to spy out Jericho, she had sheltered them and made sure they didn't get caught, which is how they were saved. So they'd sent spies in before. They'd done all that before. They sent them in and ate out. There used to be an advert. I couldn't help but think of this when I kept when I was preparing. Eight out of ten spies. I think it was a cat food advert, wasn't it? Eight out of ten cats say owners say their cats prefer it. Um, sorry, I don't know why that just kept coming into my head. But eight out of ten spies said, "No, we cannot capture the land. We can't do it. We cannot capture it." And in fact, the two that said we can were Caleb and Joshua, who were spared and were now going to go in and had gone into the promised land. But this time when they sent the spies, the spies came back and said, we can do it. We can take Jericho. So something has changed from the time they went before to this time. There's been a big change. So what's different? What is different this time? Well, it's really strange. I had not intended, well, I hadn't, not, not intended, but I hadn't even thought about following the theme of the series, uh, which is going on at the moment, discipleship. But funnily enough, it's kind of gone that way anyway. So uh, we are going to talk about that a little bit this morning, because as I looked through this and I looked at why they acted differently this time from last time, why there seemed to be a, a faith that they could take the promised land. They could take Jericho, which they certainly didn't think of the time before. What had caused that change? Well, the difference was they'd been discipled. You see, they went off into the desert for 40 years where they were disciplined and discipled by God and it had produced change. You see, a disciple learns and then does something differently. You can't be a disciple if you don't change. That's the point of discipleship, the point of discipline. And we looked last time at the words are the same word, discipline, disciple. We often look at discipline as being told off and punished. It's not. It's about being trained and changed. They'd been made disciples and they'd been changed. And so this time they could take the land. There's a quote that's attributed to Albert Einstein. I, I can't verify that. Uh, he was a little bit before my time. Um, and he said, allegedly, he said this, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results each time. You see, if they'd have just done the same thing, the same thing and expected it to change, it wouldn't have changed. But because they'd been discipled, because they'd been in the desert, it changed. That is why it was different this time. Now, Rob last week took us brilliantly through John 15, looking at the vine and the branches and how God prunes us, prunes the vine to produce the fruit, prunes us, disciplines and disciples us to produce fruit. The Israelites' time in the desert was them being pruned. They were being pruned back. All the dead wood was being cut out ready for them to bear fruit. It's amazing, isn't it? You've got an Old Testament thing happening here that Jesus then illustrates in the New Testament. You see, Jesus, when he was illustrating things like the vine, he didn't just make things up off the top of his head. It was a part of the plan. It was part of the whole seamless stream of the gospel running through the Old and the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today and forever. So Jesus was just illustrating all the things that had happened in the Old Testament anyway and bringing them to a new audience, and bringing them in a different way. 
It's God's nature to prune and disciple. It's his very nature to do that, to see us changed. It's never done on a whim. God doesn't do anything on a whim. It's all planned. It's all got purpose. Now, I find that really hard to actually say. Now, I'm not going to go on about last year because I'm moving on from that. And that's part of this, actually. That's part of what I'm talking about today. But actually, when you go through a tough time, when you're going through a desert experience, when things are hard, you think, what is going on? Why is it going on? You question it. You question God. That's not a wrong thing to do, but you do it. But what you need to know is God does nothing on a whim. There's nothing. He just thinks, oh, yeah, I just let that happen. It's all planned. It's all got purpose. There's a reason behind all of it. But it doesn't feel like it at the time. It really doesn't. But there is a plan. That's something I'm learning. You see, we learn things by reading. We learn things by experience. And when we learn things by experience, they tend to stick with us. They tend to get embedded deep in us. Nothing is outside of God's will. Sometimes you feel like things shouldn't. Why is this happening to me? This shouldn't be happening to me. Well, actually, God's allowing it and he's using it to shape you. He knows what you need and it's not outside of his control. God's never caught by surprise. We are often, but God is never caught by surprise. So because for the Israelites, there's been disciplined, they've been discipled, they've been changed while they're in the desert, they've been pruned, and they're now ready to bear fruit. For them, the pruning was really severe. Because when they entered the promised land, there was only two people left that had been there before, that had been sitting outside there before. There's only two left. For them, it was a heavy price to pay. There was only Joshua and Caleb. Even Moses didn't make it. They'd been cut right back. But now they were ready to bear fruit. And God gives them a plan and they follow it. But they could only follow the plan that God gave them because of what they'd already been through. They'd been pruned, they'd been discipled. And that new growth came that allowed them to do what God had called them to do. If they'd have gone into the promised land at the wrong time, they wouldn't have been able to follow God's plan because they weren't ready. It was obvious they weren't ready from the way they behaved. But they were ready now. And sometimes the only way, and again, this is so hard to say (laughs) because I'm, I'm trying to make myself believe it. The only way you can go into what God's got for you next is by going through the discipline that God has for you now. It's the only way. It's horrible. I don't like that. But it's the way it is. But take comfort that the Israelites didn't stay in the desert forever. They didn't stay in the desert forever. No one stays in that desert place forever. The Israelites were in there for 40 years. Jesus went into the desert for 40 days. Again, Nothing's done on a whim. 40 years, 40 days. There are parallels there. Jesus went into the desert. He suffered. He got tested. He got tempted. He, uh, he found discipline. He was discipled by his father in the desert to train him for what came next. What came next for Jesus? An incredible, intense period of fruitfulness. He came out of the desert and bore fruit. 
The Israelites came out of the desert and bore fruit. If you're in the desert now, you will come out of the desert and you will bear fruit. You will. It's what happens. God is unchanging. He did it in the Old Testament. He did it in the New Testament. And he's doing it now every day in us. And he's been doing it in me. (laughs) So I can tell you, I can attest to it. I can testify. It's my testimony that God takes you through the desert and then you get to the end of it. And then you've got to believe he's done it for a reason, because otherwise you'll give up all hope. And when you give up all hope, that's a horrible, horrible place to be. It's a really nasty place to be when you give up hope. But God doesn't allow it to go on like that forever. He brings hope and he allows you to go forward and he brings you out of the desert. So they were given a plan. And because they changed the Israelites, they could get on with the plan. But it was a weird plan. It was, wasn't it? Isn't it a weird plan? You're all going to go round Jericho once today. And there's going to be trumpets. And the Ark of the Covenant, which signified the presence of God, is going to go with you. Don't make a sound. I always wondered, did all the people go round? How did they keep the kids quiet? (laughs) (laughs) I've struggled to do that in church for years. Well, I've struggled to do it at home for years. See, I knew I'd be able to embarrass them somehow. I've got to work it in somehow. (laughs) So they did that every day for six days. Then they did it again on the seventh day, but then there was a difference. This time they had to go round, do what they did before, but then when the trumpet sounded, shout. That's what they had to do. We were singing about God's power earlier. And as we prayed, talking about God's power, that's the same power that flattened a fortified city. It's the same power now as then. The same power. We don't have to do things. We don't have to march around the city. We don't have to do particular things because God's given us that power now by his spirit. It's the same power. Exactly the same power that took down the walls of Jericho. It's amazing, actually. You look at the commentaries and all the different people's writing about the walls suddenly fell flat. They've done some archaeological digs. There's a few um, disputes about timings. But when they dug on the site of Jericho... Of the, of the Old Testament Jericho, they found evidence of a city being burned. Well, the Bible says it was burned. They found evidence of significant and sudden collapse of the walls. There's no other explanation for it. It's all there archaeologically. But when you read the commentators, nobody really talks about how did the walls just fall flat? There's just no comment on them. In the end, the only thing we can believe is God just went, now's the time, flat. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. It was the power of God. It was God's power. So, that's the first thing that I wanted to look at from this passage. Where is God changing you? So we looked at the Israelites have been changed. So where does that apply for you? Where is God changing you? Where is God discipling you? Has God got you in a desert place, maybe in a particular situation? Where is God changing you so that you can better follow what he's got for you next, so you can bear fruit for what he's got for you next? One of the ways to find out where is God changing me is ask yourself the question, where does it hurt right now? 
Where does it hurt right now? Because God's putting his finger on something and he's changing you. And it's good to be changed, even though it's hard to be changed. Where is God changing you? Let's move on to the second observation. I've only got two observations from this. That was the first one. Let's move on to the second one that I wanted to bring from this story. So they've been discipled. They've been changed. They're heading towards Jericho. Just because they were heading to the promised land and their inheritance, the place where God wanted them to be, they were right in the middle of God's purposes. Just because they were doing that did not mean that it was time to put their feet up and take it easy. Unfortunately, life doesn't work that way, does it? They marched in and there's Jericho, the fortified city. They weren't going to put their feet up. In verse 2 of the passage we read in Joshua 6, it says, uh, God says to Joshua, see, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valour. If that had been me at that point, and this probably says more about me than anything else, you look at the fortified city and say, have you? It doesn't look very given to me. They're all in there. They're guarding it. The walls are up. It's fortified. You've given it to me. How does that work? But actually, God gives them the plan. And just because God's given Jericho into their hands, it doesn't mean they are absolved of doing anything. When God calls us to something, it's still God's command needs acting on. It still needs acting on. There's still something for us to do. God works through us, not around us. That's the reason he's changed us, so we're ready to be worked through. And like I've said, what a strange plan. The plan didn't seem to have anything to do with what needed to be done. The plan wasn't go with your hammers and chisels and start taking down the wall. It was march round it in silence, apart from the, the horns. The plan didn't seem to have anything to do with what God wanted to come next. And that's often been my experience. You look at the plan God's got for you and you think, I don't see how that fits. How, how does that work? So when we came out of our last church last year and we live half an hour's drive away and he said, that's what God's, this is where you're going to be for now. Well, how does that work? I'm not in my community. I'm half an hour away. It's God's plan. It doesn't always seem to fit. A lot of times things don't seem to make sense and the direction doesn't seem obvious. But if God has asked for it, then there's always a reason. The other thing that this made me ask was, why did it take seven marches round? Why did they have to do that? God could have done it in one go. He could have said, right, everybody, here's Jericho. I'm just going to knock down the walls. Once I've done it, you can go in. He didn't do it that way. Why? And again, there doesn't seem to be any obvious answer to this. Apart from, I think it was probably an issue of trust. God was almost saying, do you trust me? I want you to do this to show that you trust me and then I'll act on your behalf. But you need to have faith in me. You need to have faith that I can do it. This strange plan, you you need to trust me and just do what I've asked you to do. The Israelites answer to that was yes, we'll do it. Which if you know the history of the Israelites in the Old Testament was quite a change. 
They didn't often say, oh, yeah, we'll do that. Or sometimes they did, and then they just grumbled about it. But actually, no, there'd been change. So they did it. The Israelites' answer was yes. The walls came down, God did a miracle, and the city was taken. So here's my question for today from this part. What is your Jericho? Today, what is your Jericho? What is it that looks like it's in front of you and it's a large, immovable object? But it's in fact the place that God wants to show you his hand and give the opportunity to bear fruit. What is your Jericho? Now, when I say that, what I don't mean is what is your difficulty? What is your struggle? Because that's the desert place. When you look at Jericho, the Israelites didn't struggle with it. It wasn't hard. They just had to do what God said in order to bear fruit. So what is your Jericho? What is it that God's brought you out of? So it brought you out from the desert, out from the discipline, the discipleship, the training, and set before you that looks impossible, but he's got for you and ready for you. That's what your Jericho is. What is it that's coming next for you that looks like you can't do it, but God's saying, no, I've trained you for this. This is my purpose for you. This is what I've got for you. This is the next step for you. What is your Jericho? What's my Jericho? After what happened last year, my Jericho is partly this, doing this. I didn't know whether I'd ever do this again because of the things I'd been through. Um, It's using the gifts God's given me again. It's learning to trust again in a church context. Just being honest, it's... You know, that's what sometimes the desert place can do for you. Everything gets stripped back and you go, can I ever do that again? That looked like my, an, an hour large immovable object in front of us. But actually God's got us here and God's saying, no, that's, if it's your Jericho, it means I've given it into your hand. Because that's what he says in verse 2, chapter 6, I've given this into your hand. So whatever you're facing now that you think, well, that's what God's got before me. That's what God's given me. It's what he's put there. What he's saying to you today is I've given that into your hand. Doesn't mean you've got nothing to do. You've still got to follow God's plan, but he's given it into your hand. It's yours. You've just got to step into it and take it. God has called you to something in order to bear fruit. And it looks too hard. It looks too big, but it's what God has prepared you for. The desert times are behind you. And your calling, your Jericho awaits. And God is saying, do you trust me? Do you trust me with it? Are you ready to walk around seven times and show that you trust me? Because when you do, the walls are going to come down. And the reason I'm standing here saying this to you is because I'm saying this to myself. This is only what God is saying to me at the moment and doing in me at the moment. So it's not like I can now say, and then I can show you how it works. Because I'm just at that bit at the moment. Jericho's in front of me and I'm kind of teetering on the edge. And I don't know whether it's going to work. Actually, I do because God says it works and he does that. And that's what I'm saying and that's what the Bible says. But sometimes you think, oh, I don't know. 
What is your Jericho? What has God got you on the edge of that you're ready to step into, that you've got doubts about, but God's saying, no, trust me. Walk round seven times. Follow the plan because I've given it into your hand. It is yours. Just take it. It's your next step. It's your promised land. Our Jerichos are what we should be getting excited about. See, for Israel, Jericho was a strategic point in the promised land. It was also a strategic point in their trusting of God. And it was also for them to demonstrate to the rest of that land what God was doing. And so what happened was the Israelites, as they took Jericho, fear came across the land. They just marched in and Jericho, it says, was shut up. What that means is they were scared already because God was on the move. God was on the move. He was starting to do something. And the Israelites were a symbol of what God was doing. They were his people. And so when we step into our Jerichos, it's part of a bigger plan that God has got for people who don't know him, for people in your community. I don't know what your Jericho is, but it's going to bear more fruit than you ever thought was possible. It's going to have bigger repercussions than you ever thought was possible. It's going to have spin-off things that you thought, well, how did that happen? It was nothing to do with it. They just took a city. Actually, it was the start of them taking the promised land. It was bigger. It was strategic. It was important. We've all got our place and our part to play in God's kingdom. That's why he's got hold of us in the first place. That's why he's brought us into his family. That's why he died for us. That's why he's got us. That's why he's poured his grace onto us. Don't forget, this going into Jericho was just one massive act of grace on God's part. I look at my grumbling and moaning and whinging over the last 12 months, and I think, how on earth have I got to where I am now? It's a massive act of grace on God's part. It's not because I've done anything special, but that's the gospel, isn't it? That's, that's what God does for all of us. So an act of grace. He takes us from where we are and he says, come as you are. I'll take hold of you and I will, I will accept you as part of my family. That's what God does. Yeah. And, and, and Israel then step into their Jericho and it's strategic. It's important. Now, if you read on in that story, I stopped at a convenient point because if you read on in that story, they still messed it up a little bit. Um, the things that they weren't supposed to take, they took some and, and some people messed it up. And do you know what? We're going to mess it up. There are times we're going to get it wrong and that happens. And, you know, some of us do it more than others. Um, but it's a massive act of grace on God's part because he will have grace for us. So what is your Jericho? God has changed us. God has worked on us. He's moved us on so that we will submit to him and trust him and so he can work through us. And as each of us step in to what God has got for us, as each of us takes on board that pruning, that, that stripping away the dead wood, as each of us gets ready to bear fruit, as each person does that, imagine the impact across a church like this. It's huge. Imagine the impact in your community when you're changing all the time, when we're changing all the time. Imagine the impact that has, the impact on the promised land, on Canaan, on, on, on where, where the Israelites were moving into. The impact was huge. It changed 
world history. We can change world history by stepping into what God's got for us. So let's wrap this up. So the very fact that we're all here right now is a, is a massive act of grace on God's behalf. Now we need to remember that because that's a good thing to remember. And you're a disciple and God is changing you by his grace. By rights, we should have been written off, left to die. We don't meet God's standard. I certainly don't. I'm looking around. I'm not going to presume what I am because the Bible says none of us meets God's standard. None of us. But actually, by his grace, he brings us into his family and he disciples us and he changes us and he makes us into the people he wants us to be. God has decided to change us and be involved in our lives. So even when it's bad, it's God's grace on us, really. It doesn't feel like it at the time often, but it is. And we change and we should expect to change and expect to be changed. And so we do things differently, which is what we looked at at the start. Then when we've been changed, and as Rob talked about last week, we bear fruit. That's the reason we, we, we become productive in his kingdom. That's what bearing fruit is. And God calls us and puts in front, of, in front of us our Jericho, our strategic point, our place to take, the place, the thing that he's given into your hands. That God is going to give you victory in because that's why he's put it there. It's there for you to take. The victory is already won. The victory is won by what Jesus did on the cross and by what he's done in your life. The victory is won. Now it's time to take Jericho. Where we bear fruit. So. For you, what is your Jericho? What is it God set in front of you that you just need to step into because God's given you the victory already? What is it he's given you? I'm going to pray and then we're finished. Father, I thank you that you're involved in our lives. I thank you that you don't just leave us to our own devices, but you change us. And however hard it is, you change us to be more like you. And I thank you that you love us enough to be involved in our lives. And Father, I pray as each of us consider what our Jericho is, what is it you have set before us that you've already promised us victory and that we need to step into? Lord, I pray, as we just even as we sit here now in your presence, that you will bring to mind for each of us what it is you're saying, step into it, I've given you victory in that. Lord, we want to bear fruit in your kingdom. We want to see our lives change. We want to see other people's lives changed. So, Father, I pray you will give us the faith and the um, just, yeah, the faith, Lord, to step into it, that we will follow your plan, however strange it seems, and that we will see all over this place uh, Jericho's taken, the walls falling down and your glory uh, being proclaimed and you being glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen.